We're discussing AI and cybersecurity with one of the foremost AI researchers in the world. Mikhail Pakuchik is the CTO of Gen. Yeah, thank you. You know, I'm a special breed in a way. You know, I've been an AI computer scientist for a kind of big part of my life. Uh, I've been an um, uh, AI professor, went through all these postdocs, sab sabbaticals, getting grants, uh, advising PhD students, all this gizmo. And I always was super excited about what AI can have as a positive impact to society. So I was kind of one of those kind of application Im impact researchers. And uh, kind of back in 2005, we started a couple of research projects with my PhD students in the use of AI in the field of cybersecurity. At a, at a time where you know, the AI was only coming up as an application area and people were using AI for image analytics and the video analytics, we just wanted to make a breakthrough in the field of how AI and machine learning can be used in cybersecurity. And believe me, in those days, it was very difficult to sell AI ML to cybersecurity specialists, unlike today. Today, kind of AI is driving all the uh, cybersecurity analytics in the majority of the systems that we use these days. And uh, but you know, after a couple of startups and working with the VCs, I was kind of invited and asked by Andre Vlček, who is a former CTO of Avast, then a CEO who was being promoted. And he he kept talking to me and kind of getting me slowly excited about how fun that it would be to use AI, not for B2B cybersecurity, for the enterprise sector, but try to use my creativity and experience for building cybersecurity for consumers. AI enabled cybersecurity for consumers. And he he planted this bug. And here I am in in Gen from Avast, uh, building systems and running the RD departments and research labs and threat labs so that we build the best in class cybersecurity for consumers. Consumer cybersecurity, this is what I do. Do you want to give us maybe a brief uh, overview of the distinction between cybersecurity for the enterprise and cybersecurity for consumers. This one is extremely exciting, especially these days when the cybersecurity as a field is undergoing a major change. Because you know, in the in the past, uh, attackers. And you know, the past 30 years, actually, attackers were writing malware that was targeted at computer systems and the networks and the uh, programs and operating systems that people used. Uh, it, was, it was the duty of the, of the enterprise, of the industry, of the business to make sure that every software they sell, every hardware they sell, every network that is there is, is safe, okay? So and then users, consumers, were pretty much users of this infrastructure that the enterprise sector have made to be safe. With the, with the recent change that we see in the industry, where it's not any longer the vulnerability of the operating systems and the networks and the computers and our devices, but it's more people. 
that are the vulnerability in the supply chain. People are not only victims of cybersecurity attacks, but people are also a conduit, I mean, pieces on the supply chain that not only consume, but also participate in deploying an attack. So people are getting in front. People are, people cognition and the way how people think and consume the internet is becoming the vulnerability. And because of this major change, there is now a lot more interest in consumer cybersecurity where the uh, expectation of the industry is to build technologies that will be there covering people at the very end of when they touch the internet. And this is very, and is the recognition is what they see, what they read, uh, the messages they receive, the emotions they post. So the consumer cybersecurity these days needs to be at this very edge of the internet, which is different edge that was exciting 10, 15 years ago. And I'm not only kind of talking about, about my my you know what I think, but you know, we have data. You know, Gen as a company is is a technology, uh is a, it's a technological company that is a house of a number of technology brands in the field of cybersecurity. I originally come from Avast, which is which used to be the biggest European cybersecurity brand that merged last year with Northern LifeLock, which was the biggest uh, uh, consumer cybersecurity brand. And in Avast, we, because of our freemium offering, you know, in Avast, we were kind of the first and the biggest in the freemium in, in consumer cybersecurity. We see close to half a billion endpoints. So we see a huge part of the internet. And in this this visibility gives us data where we see that currently it's only 30% of the attacks that we see on the internet that are caused by classical malware that is targeting devices and the network, network infrastructure, while 70% of all what we see are attacks like phishing and scamming, attacks on human cognition. Given that, where does AI come into play to help prevent this aspect of the cybersecurity supply chain as you described it. We see attackers optimizing their costs and, ma and maximizing the effect of deployment of the attacks. And they were using a different automation techniques and methodologies, including artificial intelligence, different kinds, not only machine learning, but also automated planning, automated reasoning, different types of AI for kind of making the attacks as cheap as possible and as large scale deployable as possible. So there was lots of AI under the hood for malware writing, malware attacks, malware deployment. In order to be able to respond and to protect our consumers uh, efficiently, the cybersecurity firms needed to deploy high grade AI to protect uh, the the consumers, because as soon as you stop deploying the right level of automation against automated attacks, you would be losing your warfare. There is no way how by uh, human analysts you can defend the automated high-scale attacks that are coming from the attackers. So for this reason, AI has been uh, very well designed to be used on the on the side of the of the defense but there have been a number of problems 
that we've experienced as, as the defenders. One of those were that for each different type of attack that we see on the internet, we kind of needed to build a new AI detector, new AI classifier. You know, we, we as cybersecurity experts, were building the classifiers by designing features and doing lots of training. And soon, we started to see that this doesn't scale because we need a lot of programmers and cyber and subject matter experts who can help us to design those algorithms, those algorithms, those machine learning tools. You're talking now about signature-based. Yes, I'm talking about the signature-based a malware detection. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to kind of cope with this scalability problem and explosion of the types of malware that that we are seeing online, we needed to deploy a deep learning kind of methods that makes the programmers and the cybersecurity analysts free of designing the features. So there is one type of algorithm, if well designed, that you train on different types of data, large data, and the classifier, the detector exhibits more general Detective, uh, detection uh, capability and can be used across the pipeline and the and the cybersecurity company. And like in Avast, what we did is we've built those a uh, unique general AI-based methods that help uh, the users to be to be protected very well. And you can imagine you can imagine this kind of similar to a current way how AI is effective in building the large language models. What we did is we've built a similar deep learning method that were not trained on natural language, but are JSON files. Internet is written in JSON. So like 70% of all the files on the internet are JSON files, structured, but with a variable length. And to be able to train AI on any type of JSON file, that was a complexity that we were trying to resolve and we were success, successful resolving. So, so one challenge in a cybersecurity is to be able to come up with generic enough AI that can be effective across different types of current and future threats. There is the other huge challenge that we have in cybersecurity that is explainability. You know, cybersecurity experts are like medical doctors. They know the best. They don't need any AI to help them classify malware, right? So to establish the understanding between the AI researchers and cybersecurity experts is a non-trivial endeavor, which is why there is a need to build lots of explainability, capability to explain AI to the malware analysts so that it's accepted. So and we were building a exciting novel tools for explainability and cybersecurity in order to accelerate the deployment of AI in cybersec. Are the primary challenges here lying with the ability to accumulate sufficient data for your models or in building the broader general algorithms that will operate effectively on those models? It's more the generality. So we have an access to a fantastic data on the internet. So we we see a lot, but the generality, so that 
the detectors are fine-tuned to be able to detect different types of malware campaigns, this has been a challenge. So as, as much as in other applications of AI, there has been a push to build an algorithm that is capable of doing more things, such as uh, in game playing, the designers design algorithms that can play Go and Shogun at the same time. This is the aspect of generality in game playing. Similar aspects of generality is is needed in uh, building when we build AI for a cybersecurity. Today, the cybersecurity is different because it's not a vulnerability of the operating systems, but it's the vulnerability of people cognition. So the attacks are different, and the attackers are writing something else. They are not writing JSON files. They are not compiling assembler code. What the attackers are doing, they are they are writing text in natural language. It is supposed to be deceptive and believable so that users are willing to open an attachment, are willing to share their a cyber, uh, their financial data, they are willing to click on the link. So it's totally different type of uh, warfare. And there, uh, artificial intelligence is much more successful and much more impactful when it comes to attacking. Because in order to be able to craft and deploy successful cognitive attack, you need three things. Number one is you need lots of data about the victim. You need to kind of collect data about where the victim goes on the internet, what they like, what they did, what they show, what they read. And through this, it's possible that the algorithms will create more personalized communication, more personalized cognitive attack. The second piece that you need is to steal somebody's credentials. Identity theft are increasing the effectiveness of a cognitive attack. If you receive your uh, the cognitive attack from, a, from an email of a friend, it's much more likely that you will click or uh, open the attachment. And the third one is high-performance AI that is capable of building a text that is believable, the text that is easy to uh, to believe in and adopt as a legitimate message and act accordingly. And current high-performance AI that is powered by the large language models is the ideal tool for an explosion of the cognitive attacks. And this is what I'm worried about. This is why I wake up every, every day and go to work, because I want to contribute to protection against AI-enabled cognitive attacks. I have been the subject of very targeted phishing attacks. None have ever been successful, to my knowledge, but where people have, bad actors have impersonated people that I know and in texts and in emails, how can AI and the tools you're developing protect me? These things are, are so believable and I, I'm so used to being attacked that I research every one and I know how to manually research it, but but how can AI help in this? I'm a contrary thinker, I think differently than others. And in the past, the whole cyber the, the whole consumer cybersecurity adopted this concept of cybersecurity under the hood. Me as a user, I do not need to understand, I do not need to see, I just buy this product and I'm covered. It's gone. This is history. Now we live in different times. Currently, we need to build engaging cybersecurity tools. 
tools that will be there for people, will be there with people, and will be helping people to be more resilient against cognitive attacks. So kind of assuming that you know, I install this thing, and as a result of this, I will never be attacked by fish or scam is just false assumption. This will never happen. So we, as a, as a defender, need to change the perspective and try to build a companion tools that will be there with people, will be gamifying cybersecurity for people, will be rewarding people with more transparency in what is going on when they read and receive, receive a message. And when you ask me how AI can help, the large language models that are now used for creating text can be also used successfully for being able to detect text that is scam, that is fraud, that is extortion, that is um, by many other means malicious. So the capability of detecting and classifying text as text with the malicious intent this is currently enabled by large language models and by AI, which uh, which we investigate and study in in Gen. You're looking for the patterns among very large numbers of phishing attacks, and obviously, based on your work and your research, those patterns are there if you can only find them quickly enough. I assume. Yeah, and you know, we are lucky because we don't we don't need to do this work ourselves. This is what. The AI does for us. You know, we we only need to provide a good quality trained data, and then let the deep neural network to learn its classification. People are always asking me, Michal, why why just can I use a ChatGTP to do this for me? And you, know, I just I just ask the question in the in the chat window, and my response always is that cybersecurity is much more serious deed. We, we, we resemble lots of responsibility to our users. So when, whenever we help users, we need to be crystal clear what is, it that we are, what is it that we are telling the user. And if we are advising not to click, we just need to be certain. And current setup of the large, large language models that are ge- generic, generally designed and generally trained, just do not give you the certainty. So are, are added value in the AI pipeline of systems is twofold. At the end, we just want to make sure that the chatbot, the large language model that we query, is not giving some of the you know some nonsense answer. And second, what we do is we do prompting. So we are prompting the language model with with data, with like small amount of special sample data that are helping the large language model to do the classification that is very contextual to the situation in which the user receives uh, the attack. So we have a question from Arsalan Khan on Twitter, and he wants to know if AI is being used for cybersecurity, does that mean that boards of directors don't need to worry about cybersecurity? In other words, is the AI just handling this problem and the problem's going to go away? So it's very similar to my answer in the field of consumer cybersecurity. The, f- the fact that we are in a world where ordinary consumers need to worry, it, the same applies to the board members. So 
you can get insurance, but it doesn't mean that the insurance will work always. So the difference between a a board is that the board do have a responsibility for business. So their budgets for kind of investing in cybersecurity is, a, is of a different order of the, of the magnitude. While ordinary consumers who pay they pay they their daily bills, their their Spotify, their Spotify, their Netflix and whatever they need on the internet for them, kind of paying an extra for cybersecurity is a material part of the bill. So I would say that the difference is with the with the investment, but Nobody, neither ordinary users nor the board members, are currently relieved from a res- responsibility to pay attention and to make the right decisions. These are tough problems, and I think for board members, it's in some cases even more difficult because they don't have the technology background that's necessary to really understand this. And so they have to therefore rely upon a group of technology experts without without the transparency and explainability that you described earlier. Yes, yes. I would say that currently we have the fastest ever change in the types of attacks from the bad actors. So I think that there is a huge expectation for the cybersecurity experts to really be up to the speed, to really try to understand what are the new dangerous threats and also what are the new technologies that people use for attacking as much as for protecting. So there is a huge amount on the experts to really be there for people who, who need their advice. Many technology experts are not sufficiently comfortable communicating with the boards, which presents a problem because the security officer, for example, wants to explain, but does not know how to present it in terms that are straightforward enough for the board to understand. And and that's a gap that causes problems in some cases. I agree with you, Michael. And there's the other problem, which is that with the current economical environment, the budgets are stretched with with everybody. So and I guess in the past, kind of big corporations were, you know, if they didn't understand, they 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 were kind of okay to pay an extra for like a, an extra to, tool that the cybersecurity guy requested. These days, I think it's going to be different. You know, there'll be budget fights for everything, including cybersecurity. So this presents a opportunity growth for cybersecurity personnel and CISOs in the big companies to be able to explain better to the board what is it that they are buying and why they need to invest. So the time is changing for everybody. It is always extraordinary to me the number of companies, even security companies, I mean, look at LastPass. Uh, that have breaches. And after the breach, they always say, oh, we're going to invest more. We're going to, well, why didn't they do this before? The fact that, you know, there are those centers on the internet that are worth breaching, that store users' private data and the bad actors are interested in attacking, I think it's a wrong design of the internet. We should have less and less of such places. And more and more private data should reside with the users on their ends. It'd be much more difficult to kind of make a large-scale breach through which you uh, steal hundreds of thousands of of uh, IDs and 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 passport numbers. So I really believe that internet needs to undergo a change. But there is much more opportunity for users to take 
responsibility for their own private data. And let those who just kind of need to validate and verify to, to check in a privacy-preserving manner, what is it that I keep in my wallet? And my wallet needs to be secure and, 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 and modern and good quality and powered by good compute so that whoever kind of needs to check me checks my wallet and doesn't need to uh, contain the record of my personal data in the database, which creates uh, danger for the vendor who, who keeps, keeps my data. Since you brought this topic up, can you just briefly give us advice? The, the, the listeners for CXO Talk are very smart, very bright. And can you give us advice on, as individuals, what we can do to protect our, our data just along the lines of what you were saying? Just briefly. Very briefly, we kind of need to have a good cyber security hygiene to kind of work with the password manager. Do not, have, do not kind of store or send passwords by a text message. Uh, use the good tools for cybersecurity. Understand where you, where, where you are sharing private data, for what purpose, whether this is really necessary. Ask vendors to delete data, because in many countries there is legislation if the vendor is asked to delete the data, they are obliged to. So um, be cognizant of tracking. So we are tracked. Without tracking, there is no a personalized experience on the internet. So we kind of need tracking, but kind of be focused on when and why. Delete your cookies. Do not agree with every single cookie pop-up that is uh, bothering you. So these are the basic advice. But the truth is, and you know, actually, um, storage of private data is is very much connected with algorithmic manipulation. The more data the vendors know about myself, the better uh, personalized digital experience I receive. But the better digital experience means that uh, the, uh, the vendors are restricting my choices. You know, when I search for an interesting article, if the internet knows all about me, it tries to second guess what is it that I want and serves the content that they assume that I need. So there is, there is a piece of manipulation. And I truly believe that people need better. People need better tools and technologies for keeping their privacy in check, but also for understanding how the recommender algorithms that are driving the internet how they work, how they work for me, how they work for me in that situation and the other situation. I need to understand when YouTube offers me those tiles, why are they there? What is it that I did that I see this offer? What is it that I watch? What is it that I didn't watch? What is it that I posted about? Why the recommender is acting in a way it's acting? We don't know. There's no transparency. We don't know. We, we are expect, accepting the recommend recommendations from the internet as the, as they are and this is because this great technology is on the other side the great technology is at the side of the vendors of the internet companies the amount of technology that is with users in their wallets in their browsers in their phones is actually quite limited so and as 30 years ago there were kind of first bad actors and the first attackers 
And as a result, got kind of big, massive cybersecurity industry became, became reality. And this industry started to protect users. And as a result of this, users are kind of safe. I believe that something similar must happen in the field of privacy and algorithm manipulation, that there is more tech covering people's back when it comes to algorithm manipulation, misinformation, and privacy handling. We have a couple of questions now that are popping up on Twitter. So why don't we jump there? And first is from Chris Peterson, who says, AI and ML tools sound great for cyber defense. Is there analogous research in penetration testing and red team tools or better traps and honeypots for luring in threat actors? In my threat labs, we have done research and we were able to uh, demonstrate that the use of uh, large language models for generating malware is possible, that you can generate malware by by ChatGDP. The truth is that, um, is it really necessary? If I look back into how uh, kind of malware campaigns are created, writing a piece of malware is only a small component. And there are kind of script algorithms for automated malware writing available in the malware community for the last 15 years. So is the contribution of a GDP generated malware so changing for a bad actors? Honestly, I don't think so. I think that the added value is only limited. However, when we talk about the uh, attacks that are in the form of a cognitive attack, in the form of scam and phishing and manipulation, there the story is totally different. There the role and added value of a large language models and the modern AI for bad actors is just, is just massive. The, the rate through which they can create a believable, unique content is just amazing. And not only the quality of the content, but also the capability to test, to A-B test the effectiveness of the cognitive attack, right? You currently, there are attackers who are kind of writing an email. They collect some data from the internet to learn how effective they have been. They take some learnings, they adapt the strategy, and they try try something else. Through a method similar to re- reinforcement learning, together with large language model-based text generation, this cycle can get automated. So this is my worry. You know, if the bad actors start to really automate, to generate a unique, dangerous content, and at the same time to be able to learn automatically how effective the attack has been and adapt the uh, the text generation, to me, this is very dangerous. And this is, this is an area where we as defenders need to pay big attention. It's so interesting that you just described this A-B testing because... Among the attacks that have been against me, because of of who we interview at CXO Talk, we're you know we're a target, and so I get these requests. This is very very strange. I get these requests from 
what appear to be women on the internet, you know, accomplished women. And what I've noticed, and I'm, I'm married, I have no interest, okay? But I've noticed that the attackers, because they're, they're obviously fake, because I research everything. So I noticed that the attackers have been changing specific variables. So they'll change, for example, a little bit about the background. All the variables will be the same, the characteristics of the proposed connection. They'll change ethnicity. They, they'll change the, the tone a little bit, but keep everything else the same. And so I've suspected very strongly that, that this is A-B testing going on. Yes, yes. And this A-B testing can be automated. If there is a tracker in your email or tracker in your, in your browser that kind of is helping the attacker to kind of report and understand how effective it has been, it can be automated. We have another question now from Twitter, and this is again from Arsalan Khan, who says, can AI make recommendations about uh, not collecting certain kinds of data since it's prone to be attacked? I think he's referring to recommendations to individuals uh, about what kind of tracking to allow, for example, or not based on recommendations from an AI. This is a big challenge for one of my teams. We are trying to understand to which extent AI can help people to make the right privacy decision. So we built good quality AI that helps the user to assess and explain what is the privacy impact of using this or the other app or uh, being on this or the other uh, web page. So, kind of, we've built classifiers and uh, detectors that help users to give them some abstract information about that. The truth is, currently, users are not ready for you know, using this information so that they would be impacting their privacy behavior. So, you know, we we see that users by big uh, big parts are taking a binary decision. Okay, so I don't care, or I just got incognito, or I don't care, I use Google search, or I care and I use DuckDuckGo, right? There's actually kind of nothing in between. And I think that the technologists and the technology firms need to build tools that would allow users to, to kind of set up their privacy approach in, in, in a very fine-tuned way. In context, at the time, you know, based on what they do, based uh, what they search for, based uh, where they are physically, and let the user to kind of fine tune the preferences, and then be able to be with the user and adapt the, the privacy pre preferences based on the past behavior models. So I actually think that this is a, like a missing piece that the users needs to get the. Anyway, it's an optimization problem to get the best of the uh, personalized internet experience on one hand and protect your privacy on the other hand, because these are kind of joint, uh, joint variables. McCall, can you describe to us uh, some of the most significant challenges, especially the, the technology challenges that you face in your work and your research right now? One of the really fascinating research challenge is explainability in the field of cybersecurity. So kind of for the last 10 years, many AI scientists have been working 
in the field of explainability, trying to deliver some kind of good quality explanations on AI verdicts. In cybersecurity, this is this is this is fascinating because if you kind of dig deep into the mind of threat researchers, threat analysts, there is a combination of deep knowledge, great intellect, fantastic reasoning, and intuition. And the intuition is the piece, which is very difficult to optimize. So whenever there are AI scientists, national experts, they just want to do statistics. They want to optimize. You know, give me optimization function, and I'll train you a classifier. This is this is this is how AI people work. And to be able to to marry this uh, statistical approach to world with the intuition that is in cybersecurity, that's fascinating. And I actually think it's transferable. It's transferable to to other domains. I would say that a medical doctors are very similar. I think that at the time when AI will be taking over in healthcare, they would need to be able to resolve similar challenges, the challenges of explaining AI in such a way that we are getting a professionals that are not being replaced by AI, but their impact is being 10x multiplied by a proper use of high-performance AI. And I'm lucky to be in this field that I have a first-hand technical experience. So this, this definitely is, 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 is one of the challenges. And then second, you know, I'm I'm really excited to kind of be uh in this time of uh, explosion of the large language models and to see a first time in my lifetime when AI is becoming a true consumer proposition. Until now, AI actually was a proposition, uh, was a B2B. Enterprises, firms, corporations were using good quality AI to deliver products to users. But this is the first time where users are exposed to, to AI. And I would say that one of the big challenges for me and for my teams is to understand how this new AI is threatening people. What are the dangers and limita- and ethical limitations of this new age AI that can, ha- that can have impact on our users? And kind of to be there and to think about uh, those dangers and to try to build a technology that is protecting users against not current, but future AI dangers, it's very rewarding. We have a question from LinkedIn. This is from Nasheen Liu, and she is a she runs an organization that works with chief information officers. And she says this. She says there are quite a few AI-powered cybersecurity tools out there. What's your take on the level of maturity of these tools? What's the confidence level of organizations as far as adoption? goes, especially since the popularity of chat GPT? Check the explainability. There are tools that people believe because they've been well explained and the users have trust in the tools. And then there are kind of new kids on the block that have hard times to prove their value. So I'm I'm optimist. There are lots of great AI tools that cybersecurity experts are using. It's non-trivial to be able to detect what is working for your use case and what's not. What advice do you have for enterprise chief information security officers? 
I know it's a hard, it's a really hard question to ask, just broad advice, but you have such an overview. Not to play catch up, but think for the future. I know that CISOs often are busy with solving a crisis and with extinguishing fires. And this is pretty much their work. But try to find at least 50% of your time where you think about the future, about what may come up as soon as the technology becomes better developed and kind of more, more powerful. Do not us as a cybersecurity experts stuck in the in the current situation, but let us find time to focus on the future because this is the only path to resilience. And any advice for chief information officers? Chief information officers need to partner well with CISOs and CTOs and to kind of be in a good company and try to take the advantage of what the cybersecurity experts can do for them and what the technologists can help them in driving uh, their future decisions. And, you know, I don't envy you the same with investment in security that will be under scrutiny the same time we, we will see investment in IT and cloud spend to undergo big scrutiny in 2023, unfortunately. You're working on certain problems, challenges in cybersecurity and AI. Where do you see the results ending up uh, of your work over the next couple of years? The way how I see evolution of a scan and fish, the cognitive attacks on the internet, is from like short cognitive attacks to long-term persistent cognitive attacks, to manipulation, to misinformation. And I actually think that in, in the future, as currently cybersecurity is changing from attacking people uh, devices to people cognition, I think in the future, the cybersecurity will be changing from a immediate cognitive attacks, which is this one click towards manipulation. How am I changing, changing people's mind that they would be less resilient and more susceptible to uh, to an attack. How do I move people between echo chambers so that they would be more vulnerable? They will have more vulnerabilities for me as a bad bad actor. So I think that this combination of a scam and phishing attacks and misinformation and manipulation will be a big topic in AI cybersecurity in the years to come. So you're saying that the shift takes place from AI in technology attacks, meaning attacking a firewall, for example, to uh, cognitive attacks such as phishing, to broader over time attacks that manifest as misinformation, disinformation, and broader psychological manipulation. Yes, yes, exactly. And this is where I see that the job of AI cybersecurity expert needs to be even more exciting and would require a wider scope of knowledge comparing to cybersecurity experts of the past. It's fascinating because essentially what you're saying is that the field of misinformation and disinformation, which right now we look at as a social media problem, in fact, it's a cybersecurity problem. It is. It is a cybersecurity problem. It's relevant to today because the most effective weapon in this uh, future cybersecurity world is making people more resilient, helping people to 
going to be fit, mentally fit, to be inquisitive, to be excited about checking sources, and to be resilient against uh, future attacks. Which is why those who kind of expect the technology firms to build a manipulation firewall that I put in my browser and doesn't show any fake news, that's a wrong approach. For one, it, it cannot be done. And for a second, it reduces uh, my mental fitness. I kind of need to be there still. I just want to be under, I want to be independent, autonomous, and keep my life under control. And to this also belongs my capability to distinguish which news I believe and which news I don't believe. I just don't want this right to be taken away from me. It seems like this is a, a particularly difficult challenge because now what you're asking to take place is silos of researchers to converge because right now you have cybersecurity researchers and then you have folks who are looking at news, essentially media researchers. These are different groups of people. Yes, they are, but they'll be soon sharing the same objective to make the internet safer place for everybody. Well, on that, I'm afraid we are out of time. So I, I, Michelle, I just want to say a huge thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you so much to Mikhail Pakuchek, the CTO of Gen. Now, before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so we can send you our great newsletter. 